Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2964. It's Monday, and these days it means we're going to be talking about Cassian Andor stories, and particularly stories that tell us more about the character as we get closer to the release of the Andor series. Today we're going to talk about the Rogue One comic book adaptation, which includes a special message from Gareth Edwards, the director of Rogue One. Punch it. I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So at the end of the first issue of the six-issue adaptation of Rogue One for Marvel Comics, there's a letter from Gareth Edwards to fans. He talks about his experience with Star Wars as a child, of course, and he also talks about the thrill of moving to San Francisco in 2014 to begin working on Rogue One with Gary Whitta, who was the first screenwriter on it, and of course the Lucasfilm Story Group, and how they had you know so many ideas and concepts that they were talking about a five-hour movie. I think that's you know hyperbole, but maybe not. And it was more about what are they going to have to take out of this movie to make it fit onto a movie screen basically. And so ultimately, the point that he's getting at is that what they have in the Rogue One comic adaptation is not just a straight adaptation of the movie, but it also includes scenes, concepts, visuals, that sort of thing that had been in earlier versions of the story that just did not make it to the screen and it's given to Jody Hauser, who is the writer for the Rogue One adaptation, to take those additional scenes and integrate them, sprinkle them in here and there as they fit into the story. Now, as that relates to Cassian, there's not really a lot that's new as far as stuff we saw in the movie versus what's in the comic adaptation. We don't necessarily learn anything more about Cassian from the adaptation, unfortunately. However, there are a few scenes that are worth talking about, and you know, when we eventually do the Rogue One rewatch, we'll probably end up discussing these scenes as well and hopefully find some additional insights as we go through it. One of the things that jumps out is from the initial mission briefing. So when Jin and Mon Mothma and Cassian and General Draven are around the familiar table, the data readout table that they're watching in A New Hope when they see the Death Star approaching, right? So one of the things Cassian says about this mission is that they need someone who can help them get in the door to Saw Gerrera's place without getting killed. For me, that immediately brought to mind the scene in the trailer when Luthen Rail shows up to Saw Gerrera's and there are a bunch of people who bring weapons to bear at 
you know, presumably his arrival, but you know, he obviously doesn't get shot in this scenario. And maybe Cassian in his first encounter with Saw Gerrera isn't going to get shot, but it does make you wonder whether Cassian and Saw have had interactions in the past. And that's the reason why in this particular moment in Rogue One, Cassian is saying we need somebody who can get us through the door without getting shot. So possibly in season one or season two, we're going to see some indication of why it is that Cassian might get shot going into the door of Saw Gerrera's hideout. Unless, of course, that has already been addressed elsewhere, and we're going to talk about it later on. I honestly do not recall enough of Rebel Rising, the novel by Beth Revis, but I do know that Cassian Andor either shows up or is mentioned in that, and it's on our list of other stories to look at as we lead up to Andor. So maybe this has already been covered, but that was something that you know, I immediately thought about when I heard, or when I read, I should say, Cassian delivering that line. Another thing I wanted to flag for your attention is the scenes on the U-Wing as the group of rebels are in transit from Jeddah to Edu. So there is a moment where Cassian is on the comms and lets the Alliance know that they're headed to Edu. So he's basically alerted General Draven, who wants to see Galen Erso dead, that Edu is the place where they should go if they want to kill him, but that is at least an acceptable communication that can be sent somehow, just, hey, we're going to Edu, and that's it. Whereas Jin is saying, hey, why don't you send a message to the Alliance and say, hey, the plans are on Scarif, go to Scarif, and Cassian says, I can't send that message, we're in the heart of Imperial territory, but he was certainly able to send a message saying, we're going to Edu. So I don't know if it's just the quality of the message or if he was just straight out lying to her about that because of his mission, I don't know, but I think that's kind of an interesting thing to consider. Then, of course, as they arrive on Edu, their ship is damaged and communications are out. The communications blackout is the thing that causes General Draven to say, all right, I'm authorizing the X-Wing strike. So that's just an unfortunate series of events. But Cassian, because he's out of touch and because he makes the audible call that he's not going to kill Galen instead, can't get in touch with the rebellion to call off any sort of attack and you know one wonders whether he knew that there was going to be a backup plan whether they were going to send fighters to you know attack the base or anything like that hard to say but there's no indication given that Cassie knew there would be a backup plan but certainly he makes it clear once he realizes that such a plan is in action he wants it to be called off immediately to unfortunately no avail and it's interesting that he uses Jin as the reason to try to call off the Alliance by saying Jin is on the platform, when at this time, I don't think he has any particular investment one way or the other in Jin's survival necessarily, other than as an asset for his overall mission. And I imagine General Draven doesn't necessarily think any better of her either, so why that would be an issue for him in calling off the strike if he had in fact got the message in time. Uh, yeah, I think that's worth exploring as well, and we might dig into that a little bit more when we get to the actual Rogue One novelization also, because that's something else we're going to look at for all of this. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more detail in there too. Then of course everybody gets onto the Imperial shuttle, and Jin and Cassian have their face-off where Jin accuses Cassian of going up on the ridge to shoot her father, and he says that he had every opportunity to do so, but he didn't do it. He didn't pull the trigger. He disobeyed his orders, which he thinks puts him in the clear, and 
I suppose to a degree it does, at least within his own internal situation, but as far as his commitment to the rest of the group, it doesn't really, because of course he has a mission from General Draven to kill Galen Erso, and he has not revealed that mission to anyone, so he's doing something that nobody else there is expecting him to do or wants him to do, and under the circumstances, yes, that's a pretty big issue. You can also understand why he wouldn't have said anything to anyone about it either, so this is one of those situations where, as we were talking about over the weekend with Chris Kempshall about the history and politics of Star Wars, where George Lucas was saying that he wanted to put these sort of, you know, conundrum-like situations in movies for people to think through and ponder and wonder about and the moral implications, all that stuff, like you're meant to kind of sit there and go, oh, what would have been the right thing to do about this? Then we get to Cassian's speech at Yavin 4 where he tells Jin that every time he did something that he wanted to forget, that he always told himself that it was something he was doing for the rebellion and, you know, the spies and saboteurs and assassins. And as he's giving this speech, there are panels in there that show, you know, various bad things happening to Imperials being done by some of these rebels and spies and whatnot, him among them. And that's one of the situations where Maybe it's just, oh, you know, these are things meant to illustrate what he's saying and make the speech kind of go through and be a little more visual appealing for all intents and purposes. And on the other hand, there's also a part of me that wonders what is actually going on in these scenes because it's almost like an Easter egg sprinkling, right? You wonder about the additional scenes that they show pictures of, that they show comic panels of while Cassian's giving that speech. Like those are probably actual stories and actual scenes that have happened somewhere in the background in Star Wars storytelling. And we're just getting these little Easter eggy moments of what they may be, but just from what's depicted in the panels, no clue, no context, no way to possibly identify what they are as far as I know. And I haven't seen anything online about this either. So yeah, just <laughs> my own musing on that. I bet it's actually something, those panels, and we just don't yet know what they are. Anyway, the last thing to flag is the final scene with Jin and Cassian on the beach on Scarif. And the two of them sitting there, and she asks, do you think anybody is listening? And he says, yes, I certainly hope so someone's out there, he says specifically, and that does seem to represent a final turn for Cassian because when they're in Jeddah City near the beginning of the movie and he's telling Jin that, oh, they're looking for some sister of someone who went missing and hoping to connect with her at the temple because maybe her name, Jin's name, will get them a meeting with Saw and she says hoping and he says rebellions are built on hope. And that really does come across as kind of a flippant line to me in that he basically doesn't want Jin to be questioning what he's doing and how flimsy a plan this is to be able to connect with Saw in some way or another. But this is a very particular use of the word hope. It's more of a colloquial use. It's really not connected to the broader idea of faith. And that's why I'm saying that there's a turn toward the end because we get Jin, who finds her idealism again and gives a, an impassioned speech to the Alliance leadership and takes that rebellions are built on hope line and infuses it with that broader 
you know, hopeful, faithful ideal that hope is really all about. And it becomes an inspiration for Cassian and all the rest of the spies and saboteurs and assassins and ultimately re-energizes his own idealism. And we get to that at the end where when he says someone's out there, he's operating from that faith-based higher level version of hope. Meanwhile, the Cassian we're meeting in the Andor series seems to be devoid of hope to a large degree. That moment where we see him saying, I'm tired of losing, that's a person who is definitely running low on hope for sure. So maybe we're going to get to see him find a dose of hope or at least somewhere to put the functional hope into action. I think that's something that's worth considering as well. And that right there is what I've got for you about the Rogue One comic adaptation, and that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast as well. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items, are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders, may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.